You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Indians. I am your host, Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. Today's show, we're going to start out by talking about the uh, Cleveland Indians win today against the Detroit Tigers, 8-6. to We'll then look at some of the players' performances from the game, um, specifically see if Jose Ramirez is uh, heating up a bit or, uh, you know, uh, what we can see that's positive. And I'm going to dive back into some of the stat cast stuff in the second half and uh, see where the Indians stack up in the extreme good and the extreme bad. So the Indians beat the Tigers in what was, and this should have been the easiest matchup for them in this series. Um, the next two games, the Indians have to face a pair, or the next two, I keep forgetting this is a four-game series. Um, you know, the Indians are going to have to face Spencer Turnbull and Matt Boyd, who have been very good pitchers. Uh, they've been re- they've been solid. Solid to good? I don't know if I want to go quite very good, but, uh, you know, they've been uh, solid pitchers this year for the Tigers. Um, this one, Daniel Norris. Uh, if you can think all the way back to when the Tigers traded David Price to the Toronto Blue, Day- Blue Jays, Norris was the headliner in that deal, you may not remember. But uh, he was a left-hander, I think a second-round pick. Might have been a late first, but a uh, big-money signee guy before up the pool system. Back when we had slot recommendations that uh, teams could just blatantly ignore and Norris was the big beast. Boyd was one of those guys who performed well in the minors, but never had overpowering stuff. And uh, now it's, you know, Norris is still a part of that rotation. But uh, yes, Turnbull and Boyd. And the reason I couldn't remember the fourth starter is uh, it's uh, still, it wasn't announced. So that that's uh, kind of where we are for this series. But this was the, uh, outside of whatever happens tomorrow and whoever the Tigers pull up, this was arguably the easiest and uh, no worse than the second easiest pitching matchup for the Indians. Adam Plutko was, uh, was a workmanlike performance. One, uh, one strikeout, one walk, seven hits, five runs. Gave up three home runs to the worst power-hitting team in baseball. Fun fact, uh, Joe, uh, Jordy Mercer had a pair of home runs in this game. He is in the midst of a, a season with a negative war value. It is just his second multi-home run game of his career. He has played eight years in the majors, has appeared in 846 games, has had almost 3,100 plate appearances, and has a career total of 56 home run, 57 home runs now after today's game. Uh, actually, that's not right. It'd be 58 home runs after today's game. But uh, he had one home run entering the game, and it is... You know, again, his 847th career game, two multi-home run games, uh, in the midst of looking like he's more or less toast. <laughs> it, of course, happens against the Indians. Uh, Christian Stewart's a young kid with good power. Candelario is uh, has struggled, um, even dating back to like when he was a top prospect. It's the reason why the Cubs were willing to, to trade him at the point at which they were willing to trade him. Uh so yeah, uh, three home runs for Pleco, less than ideal, obviously. Uh, Olsen comes in and is largely ineffective, which has been the story for him. A.J. Cole comes in, he's okay. Uh, Nick Goody 
I mean, I don't know, a walk and a strikeout. Is that is that a good performance? I, I guess. Uh, Wetgren is is fine for an inning and a third. Hand does give up that home run. Um, we are seeing the ERA creep up. We are seeing him be not quite as dominant as he was a year ago. But that's still saved number 25 for Hand and not as dominant as a year ago. Not as dominant as he was a few weeks ago, sorry. But uh, still saved number 25. On the other side of things, uh, Mike Freeman, home run number three. Um, words I never expected to say. And, uh, I mean, I was extremely, extremely critical of them adding him to the roster. He's been good. He has been a good addition. He is hitting well. He is doing so many things well. Um, I probably not surprised anyone. I would not be hurt if he played more games at second base, um, especially when the Indians are facing a left-hander. And the nice thing is just the general fact that uh, when he plays, it means that some of the better hitters in the lineup kind of get moved up uh, because Kipnis is not being put artificially too high in the lineup. Uh, other, I mean, Naquin, again, I, it feels odd that I am such a staunch supporter for him all of a sudden. Uh, that was never something I thought would ever occur. Um, as I've always was more of a detractor, but he is playing well. He is kind of riding a hot streak. He continues to perform. I, I understand against a left-hander batting him ninth though, and I am perfectly okay with that in this situation. Um, but, uh, I mean, he's hitting, uh, Roberto Perez. It's ridiculous that he is hitting seventh against a lefty. He's the Indians third best hitter and, uh, you know, Bobby Bradley, 0 for 4 with a strikeout. Yes, he has big home run potential. Yes, he's young. But why T- Why this all of a sudden Bobby Bradley's become the one youngster that Tito has faith in and, like, his entire career as an Indians manager makes no sense to me. Um, Bobby Bradley needs to be hitting in the bottom third of the order. There is no rhyme, reason, or sense for Bobby Bradley to be hitting ahead of Roberto Perez. Um, it doesn't matter left-handed or right-handed pitcher, but especially against a left-handed pitcher. Um, I mean, Bradley, yes, he did have that big home run, uh, but it was still an Indians loss in that game, and it was a solo shot. And other than that, he's pretty much looked uh, overmatched in the majors. And yet, uh, he continues to hit in the you know your second third of the lineup uh, over you know the Indians' best hitter, one of the Indians' hottest hitters. As well, it it I it again. Tito's lineup construction just kind of um, it drives me up a wall. I don't understand it. I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know the rationale. It is bad managing altogether. Um, back to positive things. Uh, Mercado with two home runs that gives him six on the year. Another thing I didn't expect. I did not see a lot of power coming out of him in general. Not the expectation. He had been scuffling a bit, but a heck of a game for him going three for five with those two home runs. Uh, Lindor, who had also scuffled through that twin series, uh, goes two for five. And then Jose Ramirez, we'll talk about him more in the second half. Two for four. That uh, that batting average is creeping up if you're paying attention at home. It's certainly higher than it has been at virtually uh, any point this year. And uh, that is a huge... Uh, Hope springs eternal because if you can get him anywhere near to where he was a year ago, that is adding. It's like adding the uh, best bat at the trade deadline. If he can 
flip the switch and turn back into what we saw last July. If you're listening uh, right now to the show, I want to remind you, you can always tell your smart device to play Locked On Indians. And if you're in your car or having a workout, whatever it is, just uh, tell your device to play Locked On Indians, and it should be ready to go. And if you are someone who wants to, you know, uh, reach an upscale male audience, uh, then your company's ad should be running on this podcast. The great thing about the Cleveland area in general is we have Locked On Indians, Cavs, and Browns. So if you are a Cleveland area business and you would like to get exposure on all three of those sports podcasts, then email locked at Locked On Podcast to get details about increasing your business. So we are back for the second half of the show. I kind of teased the fact that we're going to talk about Jose Ramirez and his stats and then go into some stat stat cast stuff. So here we go. So if you go back to June 12th, which was when the uh, first two-game series against the uh, Reds was played, uh, Ramirez was hitting 198 with a 586 OPS, a 294 on base, and a 292 slugging. Since then, um, he is now hitting 225, 311 on base, uh, 360 slugging. Your combined OPS, when you do the math, is 671. It's a pretty significant jump forward for Ramirez, who, again... We're talking about, when we go back to that June 12th performance, almost a 100-point leap in his OPS. Um, slugging is a big part of that. His home run total has, he's up to eight. He has hit uh, three of those eight in the month of July. In the month of July, he has a 294 average, a 306 on base percentage. He's actually not walking much at all. Um, which is a change for him, a 3.618 slugging and a 9.23 OPS. So it is all of eight, nine games in, uh, and those numbers do not include today's game, so he's probably up over, hitting over 300 now for the month. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, positive to see. Hopefully he'll start to turn around. Um, Jose Ramirez at 75% of last year is... Uh, a better bat and means more to the lineup than trading for someone like Nick Castellanos, for instance. Before we go into anything StatCast, we have to talk about some of the minor moves that have been made with the Indians. So before uh, the Indians acquired Andrew Velasquez for some of their international uh, money, was it their national bonus pool space, they uh, they used some more of that space um, and on the 12th, acquired Phil Matten from the Padres. Matten uh, is a very much an Indians pitcher. Uh, before we get into him, we have to mention that... Uh, let's just follow this train here. Make sure I give you the right dates on everything. So, on the 3rd of June, Cody Anderson was put on the 7-day injured list with elbow inflammation. Well, it turns out he is having surgery to repair a torn flexor tendon in his elbow. Um, there's a chance that come this offseason he has taken off the 40-man. Uh, he's just been made of glass. Uh, you know, he didn't pitch in the majors in 2017 or 2018. He got eight innings in the majors this year, um, and now he's done for the year again. So that's how they made room for Phil Matten is they put Anderson on the 60-day, and he is done for the year. Matten has, he's not, he's had opportunities in the majors. He has pitched uh, 112 games in the majors and has been largely ineffective. Um, 
while in the minors, you know, his strikeout rate is nearly 14 with a walk rate barely over two. In the majors, the strikeout rate is nine and a half with a walk rate of three and a half. The problem is his home run rate jumps up to 1.5 uh, and his hit rate jumps. He, uh, it's also interesting because, you know, he didn't miss bats at that rate in college, which is part of the reason why he's a 28th round pick. But the big thing with Phil Matten is the spin rate. He is a spin rate pitcher. That is what he is most known for, and that is something the Indians love to collect. Um, his uh, on his uh, the average revolutions per minute on his pitches were the eleventh best in the majors uh, a year ago. It's an elite spin rate, even though he does not have his low velocity. His spin rate has just been phenomenal. So you look at the spin rate, the low walk rate. High strikeouts. You can see why the Indians want to take a swing here. Um, I'm sure it's not much international money. And the Indians have that 40-man spot because of Cody Anderson. So they're able to take that spot and take a chance. Um, again, it he could be an effective pitcher um, if the Indians could find a way to help him limit his home runs. Um, but, yeah, he, they've not had uh, success doing that with their starters, so I don't know. But... Uh, it's uh, it's an interesting move. Just in terms of baseball, um, you know, Andrew Kashner was traded uh, from the Orioles to the Red Sox, and that could be conceivably the Red Sox only move. They didn't give up much for him. Uh, then, for almost nothing, the Oakland Athletics went out and got Homer Bailey, who has been uh, not a great pitcher, but he doesn't make anything, which is part of the reason why they are cool with that. Zach Wheeler, who's been kind of a hot name because he's going to be a free agent to be, so he wouldn't have cost that much uh, to acquire. Goes on the disabled list. He may not uh, get traded. And then one of the bigger news items I have to just talk about is the Chris Taylor having the non-displaced fracture to his wrist, uh, similar to Corey Kluber, is going to miss four to six weeks. He started out very slow, but was playing so well for the Dodgers and really helping out with uh, Seager's injury. And the Dodgers have had terrible production at second base, so the thought was when Seager is healthy, you can just slot over Taylor. Um, I don't know if this changes their plans at all with the Dodgers, if they'll consider getting someone, if they'll consider promoting Gavin Lux. But uh, second base has been a black hole. It's probably their one real weakness, and it has been for a few years. They've been trying to fix that spot. So let's go over now and do some stat cast for the last half of this show. So this is when we just want to look at kind of the uh, the extremes of the Indians roster and uh, the hitters, specifically on stat cast. The nice thing at this point is that uh, a lot of the blue has gone away. Blue is bad. Blue is cold. Uh, Jose Ramirez had four or five blue categories. He's now down to just one, though. That one category, he is in the bottom 2% of the league. It is the only other person with a blue number. Belongs to Jason Kipnis, who's in the bottom 7% of the league. And for both of them, that is in uh, Woe Bacon. Now, if you listened to me before, I like to call it that. It is weighted on-base average for contact so uh what's the when a player makes contact how likely are they to get on base um both of these players have been some of the worst in the league when it comes to contact and getting on base and i mean that's what we've seen but uh that just because that's happening doesn't mean they're not going to be hitting in the middle of the lineup every single day for the cleveland indians on the other side of things uh hitters that are doing exceedingly well 
Carlos Santana, top 4% of the league in uh, weighted on-base average. He is in the top 6% of the league in exit velocity, and in expected weighted on-base, he is in the top 8%. Uh, Roberto Perez isn't quite mashing as well as he was, but he is still in the top 10% of the league in Woe Bacon. He is, uh, his, when he makes contact, he is doing really good things with it. So again, uh, Roberto Perez, Carlos Santana, very good. Uh, Kipnis and Ramirez both improving. That, it's definitely positives to see. Not a whole lot of, of players have really done too much else to stand out. There isn't a lot of other shading on this. And if we flip it over, should we do uh, running sprint speed? Uh, Oscar Mercado is in the top 4%, and Greg Allen is in the top 9%. But we don't really, they're, they're not in any of the other ones. They're not in like league rank or anything like that. But those two guys are fast. It's a quick one to do. No one who's super slow. Stat cat, stat cat st pitching. Um, Shane Bieber, it, for as well as he's pitched, has no red stats. He's in the bottom 6% in hard hit percentage, bottom 6% in exit velocity, and bottom 8% in the expected weighted on base on contact. Um, he's good at avoiding hits this year, but when he does get hit, he's getting rocked. Uh, you go down to Adam Simber. Uh, his he's the opposite he's his weighted on base uh on contact and expected on base on contact are both top six percent i think and one's top five percent so just about the same but it basically means no one's making good contact when they he is getting hit uh but it's it's never clean uh nick wetgren is in the bottom zero percent of the league in hard hit percentage so uh he has the worst hard hit percentage in baseball and the bottom 0% of the league in exit velocity, so the worst exit velocity in baseball. Um, that's going to lead to trouble at some point. Uh, he's He is playing with fire. We're going to skip over Carlos Carrasco, who does have blue rankings as well, because he was pitching with, you know, cancer. And, and you can strike out 11 per... Uh, 11 strikeouts per 9 when you have cancer, then you can, uh, you can comment on Carlos Carrasco's performances. Brad Hand is still in the top 6% of the league and weighted on base percentage. Clevenger is in the top 8. Hand is in the top 1% of barreled, which is, you know, when uh, hitters make ideal contact. He is one of the best at hitters who are just not making ideal contact. Top 9% in expected slugging and uh, top 6% in weighted on base percentage. Hand's been awesome. He has been the Indians' best pitcher this year. Clevenger in exit velocities in the top 4%. No one's hitting him, making consistent hard contact. And expected batting average is on 197. So that all points to when Clevenger gets healthy um, and really gets in the flow of things, he is likely going to be the Indians' best pitcher. He's the guy you went out there in game one at this point from what we see here, what we've seen earlier in the year. Uh, other pitchers... Uh, Zach Plesak is getting barreled a lot, and the Indians as a team are in the bottom 7% of uh, barrel percentage. Their, uh, their hitters are, their pitchers are getting hit hard. Um, but that's something we all know. It's not exactly uh, uh, headline news. But on the whole, it's a team that, uh, you know, there was a point in the year where they had a negative run differential. They're now a plus 24. They're playing you know they're playing well they're setting themselves up to be a potential playoff team um i still think 
you know, just something to, I was thinking about the other day. I think when it gets down to it, you know, we hear a lot of names. The player that would be the ideal fit for the Cleveland Indians is Whit Merrifield. He could go into the outfield right now and then take over as a the second baseman for the Indians next year. He assigned to a ridiculously team-friendly contract for multiple years. Acquiring him is difficult, but it makes me wonder if there is some kind of world where the Indians could trade Trevor Bauer to, uh, you know, pick a National League team in particular, and the Indians can just get a, a pile of prospects, send those to the Royals, and get Whit Merrifield uh, in return. And I mean, honestly, Merrifield has more value than Bauer at this point, so the Indians might have to chip in a, a lower prospect. But uh, I think a three-teamer could be the uh, the best outcome for the Indians when you look at what Merrifield has uh, done. And I know you're probably going, he's not that good. Go look at the numbers. He is quite good on a ridiculously team-friendly contract. Um, elite defender in the outfield, an above-average defender at second, someone who would fill Indians' needs for years to come. So that is my uh, my closing thought of the day. Thank you for listening as always. Subscribing, rating, reviewing, all that good stuff. And as always, go try.